Hello, hello. Welcome to the new and improved Tuckered Out with Ami. I'm your host, Ami Tucker. And I hope you guys check out my new website, www.tuckeredoutwithami.com. Got a new logo, got a new look. Hope you guys enjoy it and send me a note. Let me know what you think. Today's episode is going to cover the farmers' protest in India. And I get the pleasure of talking to my dear friend, Monica Singh. Monica and I went to UT together, and she is an attorney in Houston who is really involved with the Sikh community. She is on the board of the Texas Grievance Committee, uh, as well as the ACLU, and as well as the Sikh Coalition. And she kind of breaks the farmers' protest down for me and also teaches me about the Sikh community and the history with the Indian government. We talk about the Sikh coalition and what you can do to help from here. So I hope you enjoy my interview with the dynamic Monica Singh. Cool to see people so passionate in, in the spaces that they're in. Usually when people are any any like civil rights organization, whether it be ACLU or Sikh coalition or ADL, whoever it is, I always admire their ability to have that passion and transfer it to work, right? Because I always get worried, like, if I did that for a living, I don't know how effective I could be or would be because when you categorize what you do for a living versus what your passion is, it doesn't always translate out, but they do it so beautifully. It's just, it's, it's special people. It takes special people to do that. For I mean, sure. that's why they get so far with all the things that they do, right? Okay. But really quickly, I just want to confirm. So what organizations are you part of now? So yeah, I'm a part of the Sikh Coalition, their board, their uh, board, uh, the ACLU. I'm also on their board, the Texas Lyceum. I'm also on their board, and so those are like my boards that I can handle right now in terms of like what can be done. So those are the main main orgs that I do stuff from, and then everything else is just like advocacy where we're where we're needed. So, for example. Um, Last year, we lost a sick member who was a deputy, and we had gotten an accommodation for him. Um, and so we wrote, rewrote the wording for the Houston Police Department and Harris County Sheriff's Department. Actually, it was Sheriff's Department first, and then the Houston Police Department. But the one thing that we didn't think about when we were rewriting these accommodation policies for these sick gentlemen to like join the force was right. that there could be a day that they could lose their lives to this very job that they were trying to strive for. So... Then I became like the advocate for their family in the moment of tragedy and all the rest. So it's kind of like wherever I can, there's a need to to talk about whatever the issue is. Um, usually is how I how my method to my madness goes. And no, and and so we are going to be mentioned talking about Modi, of course. But I know you. I don't think it was this year. You had, you had an article published about the Modi rat rally. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it was published literally on the heels of the rally um, because what, and you know, remember, this is the setting, we're not that far from the election. I'm like, just paint the picture of right before the election. I know. But it was during the election when, and I'm very, very proud of our South Asian community becoming so engaged in the election and electoral process that really we did change a lot of the numbers. I mean, we did it even in Georgia with these last two seats. Um, but it was just shocking to me how anti-Trump they were, but yet they were supporters of Modi. 
So when um, my invite for Facebook was showing these friends that were saying, you know, attending the Howdy Modi rally, that's when I was like, what the hell? Like, that's so the same person. And so my friend Swati, who lives in my neighborhood, she and I um, kind of get together on random things, politics mainly, because um, we support some of those same candidates. So we decided, we were like, oh my God, we're so mortified about this. We're definitely attending the protest outside. And, you know, the one thing that India is really good about doing is labeling who the people in the protests are. So that's just the Muslim community. That's just the people who are pro-Kashmir. That's the people who are whatever. And so we're like, no, we are going to be the the voices that aren't a part of those labels, but need to be there. And so that's how the the idea of the article came out. And, you know, never ever thought that CNN would pick it up. We were just like pitching to Houston Chronicle and like a lot of a lot of our generation is sharing the same thoughts you are. Like our parents, my parents went to the rally and we sat there and argued about it. And it's just it's it's a common story right now with all of our parents. Absolutely. And I don't have that same experience because my parents do not support Modi and I don't think I don't think they've supported the Indian government since like nineteen 19- 47. So um, I've not been brought up in that environment. So I do have a lot of friends that are similar to you. In fact, I had one of my really, really good friends who was passionately against it. His parents were for going to the rally. So he actually went to the rally with his dad. Like that's how we found out that Hassan um, was being showcased as one of these great Indians uh, thriving in America. Meanwhile, he's right outside, like not able to do it. So it was kind of funny. But you know, I have a lot of friends that are in your position and it's great that people actually push back with their parents and tell them that, you know, how, how they feel and how they should feel. Um, that part, I understand like having that strife. I just don't understand the people who are actually our age, literally against Trump, his policies, but yet uh, we're, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies with Modi. It does not make sense to me. I do. I do understand our parents. And, and, and when we talk about parents, we're talking about a lot of Hindu parents, right? Um, and, and so, and Gujarati parents, let's, let's be honest. And so emotionally and, you know, kind of what my parents in particular, and a lot of parents have gone through growing up, I, I get why they would feel that way. I'm not saying it's right, but I, I know when my mom talks about the reasons which is sometimes comes out as anti-Muslim. I, I get it because of the, her childhood and what she's seen and her father marching with Gandhi and all this stuff. But, you know, it is our jobs to tell them, okay, we get it, but it's time to move on now. Like we have to. I mean, it's very nationalistic. That's the thing that bugs me the most because in order for the, the level of hate, right? Because we're not just saying we don't like this, group of people who put us through the ringer, you know, circa day, whatever you're talking about, right? They're actually saying we hate them so much we want them eliminated. We don't want them to have citizenship. We don't want them to have alien, like human rights. Like that to me, um, I don't care what they did to you. You should still wish them to have the same rights that you have as a citizen of the country. So that to me is very difficult to wrap my head around. And I, and I'm not, you know, I'm passing judgment, but I'm also 
understand, I also understand that it's very difficult to change the minds of people who've already, that are embedded in that thought process, yeah. right? But I think, I think a lot of us are doing what we can to at least talk about it. Um, yeah, it's extremism, which seems to be happening everywhere now. So, all right. So, uh, Monica, I know, you know, I know the basics about the farmers protest. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be asking you just to teach me and go through the facts of what's going on and how people can get involved here, what the Sikh coalition is doing. Um, and so you are welcome to laugh at my silly questions. Um, I did write notes for my questions though. So just, just to make sure, because like, you know, I'm reading stuff here and there, but like to put it all together in one picture. Um, and I don't know the history that well either. So the farmers protest have been going on for about six months now. They've recently gained momentum and global attention when it, things took a turn for the worse in Delhi, I guess, last week, week and a half ago. And that's where the protests are. So let's start with the basics. Who would you say is leading these farmer protests? And what names should we know from the farmers protest side? So I want to also make my disclaimers the fact that whatever I know is also from an American perspective. Of course, I know like the Sikh history part of it, um, especially embedded in in what's happened to us through the government and what the government's done to our like our state in particular, right? And so we have that foreshadowing in the background. But what's really important to remember when we talk about the farmers' protest, this is fifty percent of India that are farmers. So when I say fifty percent of India, remember there are over one billion people, like. That's already insane, right? Like, so we're talking about America's entire population. Just to wrap your head around what, how many people we're talking about. The entire population of America is a farmer in India. So, and even if you break it down from there, and I want to keep make, talking about the nuances of like my knowledge versus what would be out there, you know, because the the leading state would be like West Bengal, Uttar Pradesh, Punjab, Gujarat, like all these states that are big in India are also big in farming, right? The more land you have, the more land you have to farm. So when you say who's leading these protests, I don't really know. I just see a sea of turbans. And that to me just that's not really necessarily indicative that this is a Punjab or a Punjabi led movement per se. We know that like our Sikh tradition, our heritage is to always fight for injustice and stand up and, and lead these protests. But I do have to say within caveat that they're peaceful protests. We have to be very careful to acknowledge that since November, they've been peaceful protests. Right. Okay. So yeah, I, I guess the reason why I asked that is because I, I mean, from again, from just this is what I'm reading online, the most of these protesters are from the states of Punjab and Haryana, um, where it looks Modi's trying to deregulate, right? With the with these three laws he's passed, he's trying to get rid of the Mandi system. Is that what it's called? Mandi, yeah, which is Mandi system, right? Which guarantees farmers a minimum price for their goods, right? So Mandi system. Um, is actually only is only being implemented in Punjab and Haryana right now, not the rest of India. Is that right? But because they've tried it in other states, deregulate regulation of the Mundi system. So having this governmental, so essentially what the government does is they pay 
X amount of dollars or rupees per crop, right? It's a fixed rate. Farmers can rely on it. They farm, they sell it to the government. It goes from there. Deregula- deregulating this makes it to where the corporations come in and they buy it from the farmers directly, right? So people from America, when you read it on the, on the surface, you say, well, that sounds like capitalism. That's what we do here in America. What's the big deal, right? It, it doesn't work for the farmer system because, first of all, this is an ar- not an archaic system because whenever we say archaic, we kind of imply it to be something that is not something that can work in, in the future of what works, right? As it is with how much the government is paying and, like, with, there's a lot of, like, things that happen, pesticides and everything and, and, and the issues that they already have with being able to cultivate the land and, and make it go further. We already have a huge problem with farmer suicide because of like these loan sharks and loans that have been taken out and the ability to maintain it. Right. So now you deregulize it. You don't get enough. You don't get that stable amount that you think you're going to get with the amount that's fixed. You have corporations that come in. So what do normally we know from corporations when we see this, right? We see, we've seen Amazon do this. We've seen Walmart do this. They come in with, they pay you the most the first few years because they want you to feel good about what's happening. They may store it away. And then the third or fourth year is when they start undercutting you. And then the farmer who's desperate to sell their crop because they have nowhere else to go, but your, you know, shitty ass offer because now they don't have a stable number to take it. They're already poor. They're already bankrupt. They're already going through these issues to where they'd rather not live. They'd rather kill themselves. Um, this is not the answer. It's not the answer to help this industry thrive. And what I think the main thing that's been said that we should continuously pay attention to is no farmers, no food. If there's no food, what are you going to do? So you need to pay attention to this. So, yeah, I mean, and I guess the other thing is, you know, Modi's trying to do this one nation, one market agenda, right? So he's trying to bring all the states under the same market system. As as of now, Punjab and Haryana are the two areas that don't, uh, that are that are regulated. So I guess you're saying that history has shown that 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 it hasn't worked for farmers. And so what are, what is the government arguing right now? Like how are they saying that this is going to be good for you guys? Well, I think he's trying to say I'm liberalizing the market, and that's pitch, right? But the underlying agenda for Modi whether it be deregulating farmers and saying, I'm, pr- I'm trying to put everybody under one, one system. He's also doing that religiously. He's doing that socially. He's doing that in so many other aspects. Um, it's no different with that either. That's because he uses the rhetoric to make it sound like one India or one whatever his you know uh, Trumpian calls are. Does it make it okay to say that, oh, this sounds like it's great? Like, you have to actually dig in deep and see what the actual effects will be to the people that you're doing this to. And if we're saying that the results of this are going to increase um, the this social disparity, like the rich become far more rich and, and the poor become poor, and then there leads to suicides, why are we doing this? It's interesting because, I mean, it's now become public. Like it's on the world stage now, right? And a lot, I mean, India has so many issues. So I'm just wondering why you think this has become part of the world state. I mean, Rihanna's tweeting, about whatever it is, like, how did it become an issue that is now, that people are affected by worldwide? 
So I think it's not necessarily the issue. I mean, I hate to say this, right? Like I'm not, I, I, I love the idea that Rihanna is tweeting about it or Kansas city chiefs, whatever his position is, is donating money to the cause. Like I love that we're getting all this recognition for it, but I think what's actually put it to the forefront hasn't necessarily been the fact that Modi's suppressing the farmers through the, these three legislative bills, it's actually the human rights violations of not being able to peacefully protest. The people being imprisoned, the sexual assaults, the, the way that they're treating the protesters, that is what I think is what elevated it to the next level for people to say, wait, what are you doing? You're suppressing the voice? Wait, you've cut off their utilities. You've cut off Wi-Fi. You've cut off TV. Like, by the way, this was the same thing that happened in 1984 with Indra Gandhi. So this is not new to the six, but new to the world with, with the World Wide Web. That, I think that shocking piece um, is what has captivated people from the outside. And one thing we have to always remember too, like the human rights violations in India are so um, thick and deep that even Amnesty International is not invited into India. Yes, they are very, like, I can't stand when people say it's the largest democracy. Maybe in numbers, but not in actual practice. But if Amnesty International is not invited into India and they're banned from there, some shit's going down in there that we need to know. So I think these are the things that are actually what's rising it to the level of, of recognition on the world stage, which rightfully so. So this is a very loaded question, and I'm not sure how you want to break this down. You, you kind of mentioned earlier the history uh, of Sikhs with the Indian government. I don't even know if that's the right question or if you can summarize kind of what you what your knowledge is of how Sikhs have been treated in India for whatever you want to say the past 40, 50 years, if you can in any way summarize that. I'm not even sure how. 20 seconds or less. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure if that's a 20 second thing or a 20 minute thing, but. Essentially it started with partition, right? Like Punjab was, is called Punjab because Punj means five and it was the land of five rivers. Well, when three of the rivers are like cut, and given to the Pakistani side and we've been promised like, okay, well, you'll have your own sovereignty and your own voice and your own um, place to where you could freely worship. And it's not done that way. Um, th that's where the problem started. Right. So people hail like the Gandhis as like this family that's freedom fighters and all the rest. But really for us as a nation or as a people, we've not felt the same way. Um, and it, and it's escalated. Like Indra Gandhi was the worst thing that could have happened to our people because she literally made it an agenda to have like a genocide to rid, rid us of the six within, within India. And that was done on June 2nd in 1984, where she blacked out, similar to what Modi's doing now, blacked out all the TVs, all communication, all journalism, journalists, and attacked 37 of our Gurdwaras, which is our place of worship at the same time with tanks. Um, and so she literally was trying to eliminate a people. And that's why those nationalistic tones that are no longer undertones in Modi's speech um, are threatening to us because we've lived through it. And I don't know if you've even seen some of the other tweets and I was trying to find them because, you know, of course, uh, the Indian anti-WhatsApp groups are just insane. Oh my God, seriously, that's a whole other podcast. Oh my God, I have like 500 messages that came from the I need. 
seen verified Twitter entries from Bollywood stars who are like, repeat 1984. Let's gen- let's just get rid of these farmers. Like that's the that's the stoking of the fires that are very similar to Trump. <laughs> Uh, slightly, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could, if this is an appropriate way to say it, but it kind of, it's like the Black Lives Matter movement in a way, right? Just. I, yeah, we're trying to equate it to something that we can tangibly understand. Right. Just to equate to something over here that, that that's going on at the same time. Right. But it's different when it's like a nationalistic you know, we only want Hindus to be the majority religion and the re- majority, like, dominating culture. And, and you know, like last year when they, they passed those citizenship rules where Muslims couldn't even become citizens or they had to prove that their great-grandparents were living in India before they could get I mean, every move that's being made is to really oust, oust any other um, religious group other than um, Modi's or the primary group that's out there. And that's very, so these, these underlying um, issues that we've had since literally predominantly became part of 1984, they still haven't started a stop because we have disappearances of so many of our sick brothers and fathers don't have a clue as to where they are, what happened to them, you know, disappearance, meaning like, are these like leaders in the community that are speaking up or something? So we've had a lot of leaders in the community, people have researched it. We've had people that have not even been leaders in the community. They just pick them up and the police just kill them. And then that's just the end of that person. And there's no, we have no leads to them. We have no, there was, there's even historians that have gone in and documented all these missing people. So it's, it's the same thing. Like when you, when uh, I was even watching another video from the farmers protest, they were talking about these three journalists that were there, and then all of a sudden they disappeared. Um, this is the Indian police's mo. If they don't like it, they take them and they and they disappear, and nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows, you know. It's not like a matter of which jail are they in, so you can bail them out. It's like they're MIA. Like right now, we have a social justice activist. Um, her name is Nordeep uh, Kaur, and she's. MIA also sexually assaulted, been jailed, and she's been a, a big vocal voice. And we don't know what's going on with her. So very, very common, um, and it's a trend where in which nobody wants to correct that. Right. Yeah. The other journalist I, I've been reading about was Mandi Punia. Is that correct? I don't know. Okay. Much about I'm sure there's. Him. I'm sure there's a ton. I just I've read a couple of stories on him and. He was just reporting on the protest and and ended up in jail. He must be one of the three that I'm talking about. Did you hear about the teen also, Greta Thunberg, and she and the police have now lodged a case against a teenager for speaking out against the protest? They were like had her picture on a flag and they were burning it, and then they yeah they're they're trying to look into whether she was trying to form some kind of international attack on India. They were trying to say incite violence without saying it. And I was like, you don't want to be that close to Trump's version. Of yeah. Stuff. No, I just, I just read that as well. I was like, this is, everyone's going insane, insane in the membrane. Um, so, so last week when the, uh, when, when the protesters were, they charged the red fort. Is that, is that what happened? They were given a protest route to follow. And then there was one that was like a route that 
told somebody to go one way and the other ones to go the other way, like they divided it up because they were trying to, they're trying to undo all these protests, right? They don't want them to priestly protest anywhere. So the red fort thing, I know a lot of people are trying to say like, oh, they charged the red fort or whatever else. What people need to know outside of India or hell inside of India, we know that red fort is actually a historical Place, but it's not an assembly because a lot of I saw a lot of people talking about it like as if it was the capital insurrection, you know, like charging it. We went to the Red Fort and they protested there, and and that's what happened. And they put up a flag, by the way, uh, which is the Nishan side, which is the same, with which is one of the Sikh flags or um, what we have to represent us. Similarly, that's happened with the Hindu flag before. No choose, but because the way that they're trying to make it Modi's entire agenda is to make it look like these are not peaceful protests for him to be able to do the things that he wants to do to control the narrative. Right. So a, a protester was dead, not nobody. I mean, that was something that harmed us more than anybody else. Right. So that's, that's the news that we've gotten off of it, but not anything to, to make it lot to, have it rise to the level of, you know, suspending everybody from Twitter or suspending the news or, you know, internet blackouts. Yeah. yeah, Journalists locked up, like nothing that required that. So in terms of, so you were, I don't know if we finished the history yet. You You talked about 1984 and then, then till now, has it always just been always, kind of a aggressive relationship between Sikhs and the government? And I, I wouldn't say aggressive. So what happened was the biggest thing in 1984, when a part of the 37 Gurdwaras that were charged with tanks, the biggest one was the Guru, Guru of the Golden Temple, which is in Amritsar. And June 2nd was one of the days that the majority of Sikhs come to it because we celebrate one of our Guru's birthdays. So there's a large population that's in the Golden Temple, and their Gandhi knows this. And this is the day that she picks out and goes in there. So now our holy, uh, and this is not like Mecca. I don't want to equate it to that at all. It's one of our places of worship. It's our political um, flagship, if you will, Akal Takat, which is also part of the Golden Temple complex. It's People are dead. Like they're killed within there. I mean, the pictures are horrific. There's people from the Indian army smoking cigarettes, smoking and drinking against our religion. They're like standing over them in our Gurdwara just doing that. Um, men's turbans are taken off and their hands tied behind their backs with their turbans, which to us is like a royalty. Like you just do not touch a sick man's turban. It's a sense of pride. It's what we uphold, who we are. Um, so many people were killed within that complex. And and really that was that was not i don't know how to say anything it was like literally a state um i'm sorry country led genocide six and so after that like a you know the the she had Indira Gandhi had two sick bodyguards and they they ended up killing Indira Gandhi that's how she was assassinated ultimately that's how she passed so riots have broken out in 19, in in Delhi and the same type of Stories you hear, um, I, I don't even want to. I don't even want to um, make the parallel to the Holocaust, but similar, like how you read about like Anne Frank being hidden in homes in Delhi. 
Same thing happened to the six where the six had to hide within their homes in Delhi or their neighbors' houses and to be prevented from being pulled out, people being set on fire right there in front of their houses. So it wasn't, you know, just a blip or like a little bit of a civil war or something like that. It was very methodical. And that has not tampered down even in the least because the the police are very good at continuing on this type of, um, I, I just can't even think of the right adjective. Um, so that's definitely been an issue. And it's, and, and Punjab's denigration to a large scale has been because of these government led laws and the way that they handle things and the introduction of like alcohol on in the street corners and stuff like that. Like these are all systematic things that the government kind of pushes too. So what would you say to someone saying like for, for this particular protest, what would you say to someone that would be like, well, the rest of India has to do it. So why not Punjab and Haryana as well? So the rest of India that had to do it, it did not work out for them. So that's the data that everybody's missing or not paying attention to. This becomes a social justice issue, issue not only because we're shutting down media or we're shutting down journalists. It becomes a social justice issue when there's no equity involved. When the rich get richer and the poor stay poorer, this is an equitable thing that we need to make sure that we're leveling the playing field or we're helping people out. We're not bringing corporations in to drive pe- humanity out of it. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, I need to read more about it, like why all the what happened to the rest of India that had to deregulate? And then how did, why was Punjab and Haryana last? I guess I, was, I just don't know the history behind it. Well, I just think again, like 93% of the land in Punjab. Farming land. Got it. So when you think about it from that perspective, the way it's going to hit us is going to be far harsher or harder, especially when you already have it stacked on top of farmer suicides and, and sharks like we have a baseline that's not really uh something that's running through other people as well so that that to me is the differentiation of course i'm also looking at it from an eagle eye right like i'm not in the heart of that yeah i mean i was reading obviously india's agricultural system needs massive reform like yeah like you said 50 percent of the indian workforce are farmers and then there was a whole article comparing india's agricultural system to china's And just, yeah, I'll I'll send it to you. And just basically like how messed up it is. Incidentally, they're saying that Modi's acting like a Chinese dictator. So I can see if he wants to work that way. Um, So what are, what are organizations like the Sikh coalition doing or, you know, how are, how are they getting involved? Well, we obviously have a vested interest because it's just not our people here, but our ties there too, that matter. Right. And again, just like I was talking about the social justice issues of equity and all that, that's what taps into what we do. And one of the ways that we're doing it is we've been passing around this link. That's fantastically easy, like so ridiculously easy. You, you tap the link, put in your zip code. It gives you your congressional people that are your people and you send them a letter and an email saying, this matters to me. If enough, if, if all the people in the districts, the Congress people in the districts get enough of these letters from six or non-six or whoever it is, I mean, people who care about the farmers protest, they're going to comment about it. Now, the State Department finally made a comment about it, but we're waiting for the Biden-Harris administration to make a comment. 
mean, Mina Harris has been like amazeballs in this. She's like tweeting up a storm about it. Um, you know, before we sent this to former secretary, uh, head of state Pompeo, of course, nothing happened with that was fine. Uh, but now, like we said, they just issued a statement, but we just want everybody to be able to push back internationally. And honestly, that's all we can do within any type of diaspora, right? Whether it be, um, a Sikh diaspora or Hindu diaspora, whatever you're doing, you have to do it from this perspective and it's going to be from a political, uh, international perspective. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, we're also trying to figure out innovative ways to support the farmers out there. Kalsa Aid is an amazing organization that's out there on the ground. They're, they're giving supplies to the farmers that are protesting and like trying to feed them and making them food and all the rest. So we support a lot of organizations like that. Not, not necessarily the Sikh Coalition. I'm just talking about organizations in general. That, that's really huge. So from, from a nourishment perspective, we've got, you know, Calsa Aid that's, by the way, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, which I think is amazing. And like the Sikh Coalition who does what we do best, which is legislation and policy and what we can do to move it forward and, and bringing awareness. Just like you said, you reached out to the Sikh Coalition because you saw so many Instagram posts and you're like, what's going on? So that's, that's our forte to get it out there like that and bring that awareness. And so if we can keep doing that, I mean, this discussion would not have happened had you not seen that. It was on the back of my mind, but I was like, I, I, you know, obviously when you, when you see it like that and, and those and, and images and, and through that way, it, it affects you more, you know? Right. And if, if we can have a dialogue like this and we just, you know, influence like another 10 people, it's just that roller effect, the Rihanna effect, if you will. I mean, we pretty much are Rihanna, yeah. So, hey, hey, we can still dance, all right? We can still dance. We still got it. Um, I gotta ask: Do you have family members there? Is everyone okay? So I don't. I don't come from a farming background. See, um, which I is why I like speaking about it because people understand then that I'm coming from a perspective that's actually speaking about the the statistics of who farmers are and who farmers are for Punjab and stuff like that. So my husband's family is from Rajasthan, but they're farmers as well. They're in it. A lot of my friends' family, they're involved in it. Um, so I hear a lot of these stories, but, you know, again, for me, it's the equitable, um, you know, even playing field. And then of course these uh, human rights violations being uh, violent towards the protesters and trying to shut them down that of course makes me want to jump to the front line of talking about it. And do you know what the negotiations have been? Like, has there been any kind of negotiations so far? He did and he didn't back off of it. So what he did was he suspended it for uh, the laws for 18 months, which just means kind of get used to it. And so what the farmers have said is like, actually, we're not going to leave here until they're all gone. Because the eighteen month suspension doesn't like leave leave. like the pro like leave what what do you mean leave? Well, so leaving the Lee and leaving the protest. Because because I think what Modi was thinking, if I do an eighteen month suspension, I say, Okay, never mind, I'm not gonna do it, or the Supreme Court I think came down with that ruling um of India. So I think they they thought, Okay, this will dissipate the protesters, they'll go all go back. To be able to rally everybody again and bring them back in eighteen months, they think it's gonna not be feasible or possible. And so the farmer's are like, no, actually, that's not what we want. We don't want to kick the can down the line. We need a decision for it to be amended right now and right here. So that's kind of where we're at right now. I can't imagine what they're going through. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> 
And how, I wonder how many, I mean, I wonder how many protests are out there right now. Oh, um, they said at one point there was 250,000. Wow. That was one single day. That was a strike. The largest day that people were on strike. And there's, there's people coming in from everywhere. When America and uh, there's American doc- doctor that's there that got his, he got beat by the Indian police for helping like with the protesters. So the violence there is like not discriminatory, whether you're from America or not, they don't know that. Right. So like there's a sick gentleman who's a doctor from Jersey who went there and he, he was beat by the police there. Um, but, but you know, the, the thing that to me that moves me the most, remember this is during the winter because they started this in November, so November, December, and January. There's men there that are 80 years old. There's women there that are 80 years old. There, I mean, there, the, our older population is the one that's out there saying, this ain't right, we're not doing this. And it's what's amazing to me is to hear them say, like, look, I lost a son or I lost a husband to suicide. No more. We're not doing this anymore. Y'all need to fix this. And all there equally. And, and to me, that's, that's just like, wow. I mean, they're fi- they're fighting for their lives, and and on a side note, in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, it's just. I just think it's really important for people to stay focused on the theme that's happening here. I think if we, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know. You probably seen the same switch too, because being in Arkansas, you probably have the same type of exposure to conservatism. But like the amount of. Um, discussion people are having about Biden. He's only been in office for like three weeks and how they're like criticizing him for wearing a Rolex and stuff like that, which I'm like, these are fantastic criticisms. I'd rather have that than somebody talking about grabbing them inappropriately. Yeah, right, right, right. Like where's that damn Rolex, dude? Go ahead. Uh, if this is what we're talking about, let's keep at it. Like this is wrong by me, but when you're going to like tell people that they're very fine people and they're assholes and stuff like that, you know, so to me, it shows the, the stark difference of how used to it we got with Trump's rhetoric, right? And what he said and what he did and the Muslim ban coming into play and all that. And so to me, what's really important that we have to have to remember is these underlying things that Modi is doing, he will continue to do. We should never be desensitized to it. And so this becomes a bigger issue. Farmers protest is a nationalistic versus the people issue. Is another way for us to fight that, and the way we can remember to fight that is if we realize what's actually also happening, not just about this deregulation issue. It's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, no, definitely. Damn, girl, I learned a lot. I was, I, I was reading stuff. I was like, I gotta read. I gotta read. But I was like, you know what? I just, I mean, and, and it's good. It was good. I needed to do that to to understand. It's only so much you can get on Instagram. I went and studied law for study abroad uh, in my last year of law school, which is also like 20 years ago. I don't, we're not supposed to age ourselves on this, right? Oh, I age myself. I'm over it, dude. It's fine. Yeah. Anyways, I remember when I looked at their constitution, they had 83 amendments. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so talking about these nuances is a bit intimidating to me, even a legal perspective, because I'm like, I cannot understand their democracy. Would you ever go back and, and practice for any reason? Never. I, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like, it seems like the Wild West. You know, for me, it's like the justice of the peace court here where we have no laws of evidence. I'm like, no structure. I need you to tell me what's yes, what's wrong. You know, 
I don't like this whole like whatever. The only thing I like that is unpredictable is the fact that I'm in trial, but not anything about anything around it. <laughs> it just, it, I hate to say it, you know, we were, we lived there for three, three and a half years. I just, I feel like my, every time I think of what things that go wrong in India and just all the stuff they have to fix, my first thought is just, and it's so pessimistic, but I'm like, it's hopeless. It feels hopeless. I know it's not, it just feels it there. Cause I'm like, just the little, little I saw there, the little things I had to go through, nothing major at all, but just whatever little bumps we had to go through. I'm like, I love, I do love the country because of the emotional connection, whatever. But I'm like, I just, this place is hopeless and I hate to be that way. When you gotta say, if you gotta tell like 200 people to get their shit together, it's easy, right? But when you gotta tell that many people, it's like, fuck, how do you start, dude? Did you see White Tiger? I did. New sensation, right? Okay, so one of the things that's striking in there, like just the the concept of like how servants kill masters and, you know, they kill kids like accidentally or like whatever else, right? That's like when you realize that you just have too many people to care about, like what individually, what people can individually do or not do. And so really what kind of justice system can you have when you don't even count, you can't even count the number of people that are out there to know that there's a justice system that needs to check and balance this. So so, I saw, I actually read the book. It came out the year we moved to Delhi. We moved in 09. I think it came out in 08 and I read it. And, you know, we had, we had the whole driver experience. And I mean, I have many, many stories about working, having a staff. Uh, And I think about that and, and it sounds kind of fucked up, but I mean, it could happen to anyone, man. Like the, it's, I, I look back at my time and I look back at a lot of things I've done in my life, but I look back at my time there and I'm like, wow, thank God nothing happened to me. So what happened to me? So he, before we got married, he went to India, you know, the, the generic, you got to go to India to get your wedding shit. But his driver, they had gone somewhere and the driver actually hit a kid and MP was like, stop the car. And the guy was like, oh no, don't worry about it. We're fine. And he made them stop and take them to the hospital. But the fact that he, he was like, he was mortified that he had to convince them to go take care of this kid that they just hit in the middle of the road. And so she ended up being okay. But just that mentality. So I, I'm just thinking, like again, like the, everybody's disposable there. Like they have, they have plenty to go around. Honestly, like it's. I mean, again, I, I we obviously were under the shelter of nice homes and cars and this and that. But like, if I I could see it from their point of view. After if you live there, born, raised, and and live there, and have you know, don't have the means for stuff, it is kill or be killed in general. Yeah, I know. I it's funny, you know. I, I we left in 2012, 13, 12. But anyways, um, and I just and of course, you know, we've had kids and blah blah blah. I just I still haven't gotten over India. Like I don't. Not that I, I love the time there, but I I I don't know. Something in me just does not want to go back yet. Yeah, you have what you call PTSD, my dear. I guess I mean, it was a fantastic time. Meaning, like we we were protected in our little bubble. But just just too much. And I just can't imagine taking my two girls there. I don't know why, because I think everyone does it. It's fine. It's gonna be fine. Um, but there's something there's something in me still that gets very nervous about that place. And I that was I was never like that. I love going to India growing up. I went every year, you know, like I, it was my fave. I don't think I 
realize how great it was until after it was over. But yeah, I used to go every summer too. That immersion of how you like, even how you communicate is because you were immersed in the culture to talk shit in the same language, right? right. Like going to these Mondays and like bargaining with them and saying all that. Like it's a art form only learned not on vacation, but living, living there. there. Totally. I was totally immersed in it. And it was fantastic. I just, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll eventually go back, but my in-laws live there. So we, we're going to have to, but um, yeah, yeah. They moved, they moved when we moved, they retired and moved there like in 09. Every Daisy family says that. I had never met one that actually did that. Yeah. Yeah. They did it. My mom, my parents did the same thing. They're still in Houston. I'm like, calm down. You got to stay here. <laughs> Thank you, Monica. It was awesome catching up. And thank you for educating me on such an important topic. Guys, please check out the Sikh Coalition. Sikh is spelled S-I-K-H. And check out Khalsa Aid, K-H-A-L-S-A. To learn more about the farmers' protests in India and what you can do to help. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Out. That's my handle for now. That's going to be changing soon. And check out the new website, tuckeredoutwithummy.com. Thank you guys for listening. A lot more coming up this month. This is Tuckered Out. <laughs>